You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, HeadTeacherChats.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. This week, I'll be interviewing Sue Plant from the John Taylor Free School. Sue is a huge supporter of part-time and flexible working, so much so that every job in her school is advertised with the line, applications are welcome from candidates who want to work flexibly. This flexible approach is clearly a significant factor in the creation of a positive culture of well-being in Sue's school. In the interview, we explore how she creates an environment in which this 21st century approach to working patterns can really work. We'll also talk about how Sue creates a climate of autonomy, respect and trust, and how empathy and kindness are the values central to her role as head teacher. Enjoy the interview. Sue Plan, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Vicky. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be talking to you today. You're really welcome. I'm, I'm really excited about it, I have to be honest with you. And when you say you're really well, is that actually the truth? Because I know you must have been working <laughs> frantically. Well, that's a very good point, actually. It's a standard response, isn't it, when we just say, yes, I'm fine. Um, it doesn't feel like we've only been back a month, I have to say. Uh, I'm pretty tired, the same as every other uh, teacher and leader in school at the moment but I'm uh, staying positive and trying to be as optimistic as I can um, just really pleased that I've got all children as many children as I've got in I won't say all of them but it's just nice to have the children and the staff back in school rather than working from home yeah it's nice to be back in that environment I suppose where you're getting physical and human contact with people yeah absolutely so would you start by telling us how one of the things I want to do on the podcast is, is get as many interviews as I can with female leaders because that's something I'm particularly passionate about trying to encourage is more leaders and more women into senior leadership teams. So can you just give us a little bit of um, an overview of how you've ended up as, as the head teacher at, uh, at the John Taylor Free School? Um, so I've been teaching um, now over 25 years um, wow. I can't believe it's been that long um, came through a kind of head of department route head of humanities and then after that time um, did a number of different leadership roles in school and quite often joke that I've pretty much done every leadership job in school from um, the kind of pastoral role to the curriculum role head of sixth form teaching and learning um, and I think that's really helped in my leadership journey because it means that I understand a little bit about what colleagues are going through and what they're having to deal with. And I think that's really helpful um, to have done quite a number of different jobs because it does give you a, a really good perspective on um, other people and how they're how they're feeling about their job. Not because you want them to do it in the same way that you did, but when um, somebody's talking about juggling the pressures of a number of different subjects as a, a head of a large faculty you've got an understanding of that similarly um, in terms of the pastoral role and trying to juggle all the things that go with being a head of year or a head of house um, it just gives you a better understanding really um, and 
during that leadership time I also had my two children and I was a senior leader when I had two very young children um, and wanted to adjust my working hours slightly that wasn't compatible with um, the view of the school that I was working in at the time um, which at the time I found really challenging and really difficult and has given me a real drive now to make it easier for women particularly but all parents um, and anyone who wants to work flexibly or has a different view of how their working week might look. Um, the fact that I didn't have those opportunities has meant that I want to make sure that other people have got them if that makes any sense. Yeah. So that's one of yeah. my, my drivers as a leader. Um, and in terms of senior leadership posts, I was a vice principal. I've been director of a teaching school. I've set up a skit. I've worked across the multi-academy trust as an associate trust principal um, before getting the job as head of school at John Taylor Free School, which is a new, well, I say new, we're in our third year now. Um, and in fact, it's pretty much... Um, must be three years almost to the day um, that I got the job. It was this time in, in, in the calendar because I started in the January. And how have you found it? Um, there is nothing like leading a brand new school. Out of all of the different jobs I've done at senior level and being an interim head, um, there's nothing like being in charge of a new school. Um, it really is a unique position to be in. It's an absolute privilege to start from scratch and to have a blank canvas uh, to a certain extent. Um, but there is nothing like having to rewrite your budget every year because it, you are growing by a cohort. Um, wanting to do something and then realising that you don't have the administrative support or capabilities to do it because you haven't, haven't got the size and the scale of the team and you're trying to set up systems and structures that are sustainable um, but with very small numbers of people and you're still and growing think, now I guess as you move to yes we grow by cohort yeah cohort yeah. each year so yeah. 240 children each year um, 12 and a half to full-time equivalent start teaching staff alongside support staff so this academic year we had um, 30 or so new members of staff join us in September and again there's nothing like trying to induct 240 children and 30 or so members of staff in the middle of a global pandemic. I was just going to say that uh, retent, uh, recruitment of staff is something that, that takes up an awful lot of time of head teaching. It does and I start that now so I start mapping now what um, the staffing structure well the staffing structure was decided last academic year when we set our budget but I start to map that now in reality in terms of what's that going to look like because I go out to recruitment in January um, and I have in the past held recruitment events so that people can come and understand what it means to work at the school and what, um, what our culture and climate is like so that they get an understanding before they put an application in. Um, and then I pretty much interview from February right through till the end of May. Uh, I think this year I worked out, I interviewed between 150 and 200, pe 200 people. Wow, that's a lot of people and a lot of time. A lot of time, yeah. But I think it's really important to get the right people. And uh, a lot of people say, oh, well, you don't need to do all of the interviewing. Um, but at the moment, this is um, 
you know, it's my team that I'm growing and I want to make sure that I get people that are compatible with our culture and our ethos, which is uh, very distinctive. Um, and to do that, I want to meet them and I want to talk to them. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, this, le this leads us really well, actually, into the reason why I asked you to come on the podcast, because, and you've referred to it already when you spoke about having your, your two young children when you were doing a senior leadership role, um, you're committed to part-time and flexible working. So can you tell me a bit about how you go about doing that? Because many leaders think that it's something that's particularly difficult and they shy away from it in, in schools. Yeah, I don't really understand that view um, because it, it can be done and there's no reason why it, you can't look at things a bit more creatively. Schools have been very traditional in the past um, and I don't really understand why they're not moving forward with um, looking at flexible working and part-time options for staff. Um, my with here I needed flexibility because um, I maybe needed a little bit of a subject and not not a full yeah. person if you like because we're because we're a new school so I was really open right from the start about um, flexible working is is welcomed let's talk about what that might look like and I still say that now um, and I think people deserve to have a life as well as teach and I think it's really important that people don't see it as um, all consuming. I don't particularly like the staff room competition of who's worked the longest hours this week. Sorry, Vicky, my battery's going. I'm just going to have to pause and plug okay, my laptop no in. Problem. Sorry. No problem. <laughs> uh, so I was just saying, I don't really like the staff room competition on who's worked the longest hours, who was in the building first, who's last leaving. Because... I don't think it's a healthy competition and I think there is something much healthier about uh, promoting positive uh, I don't again work-life balance it's about being able to live and uh, manage the job and do the job well uh, without it being all-consuming because you could work all day every day as a teacher as a leader and I think people have to choose not to and make that proactive choice so if somebody is choosing to work flexibly uh, let's look at what that might look like for the school. So what do you do to support people who want to work part-time or flexibly? So I put it out in the recruitment, all the recruitment stuff, uh, materials, resources, says that we welcome applications from people who want to work part-time or flexibly. If they tick that box, it's a discussion at the interview. And that isn't part of the selection process, but what it does do is enable a really honest dialogue about um, what that might mean for the candidate. And I make it really clear to candidates at the start of the day that that question isn't about um, selection. That's so that I can understand their needs. In, if they are successful, we then um, work out between us how to make it work for them and how to make it work for school. Uh, so if I always ask people what their kind of minimum maximum is, if it's that um, they want a particular number of days or they have got uh, uh, they want to drop off at school or, you know, whatever people's circumstances are, because that helps me to understand how I can make it work. Um, and I would always come at it from the point of view of let's make it work rather than it can't be done, which is what a lot of people's experience of asking for part-time is it, yeah. it can't be done it's not compatible with the timetable 
Um, then in terms of existing staff, we will go out to them this autumn um, and talk to them about um, whether they want to remain on the same kind of contracts as they are at the moment or whether they want a discussion about looking um, at it slightly differently, different working patterns, different days, etc. So we start that conversation in the autumn before going out for recruitment in the January so that I've got an understanding of how to piece it all together. And it's something that I've referred to in the past as a jigsaw puzzle that um, you're literally putting the pieces together. And you're prepared to put the time in to work that out to support your staff? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It sort of leads me on to, to two other questions, um, what you've just said. So one of the reasons I think that people are so resistant to offering flexible and part-time working in a school is the timetable and the fact that we start at x time everybody comes in at 10 past eight there's a staff briefing and then obviously the day is so tightly structured that i think that's what causes people to, to put a barrier up and think well, i can't possibly allow flexible working so in what ways do you approach the timetabling and what changes have you made to the timetabling to make that possible so again it is about understanding what people want and need um, so that we can make make that work some people have no real preference they just know that they they want to work 50 percent of the time other people um, know that in order to function happily at school they need to do one school run a day a week yeah. um, other people want a whole day because they've they've got something else that they're interested in and they need it to fit into one whole day so it's really understanding some of the reasons behind those requests so that you can make it work. Um, and then I think if the last six months has taught us anything is that we can be more flexible and we can be more creative with how we engage with everybody. Um, you know, that old fashioned notion of you've got to have everybody in the building for your briefing at 8.30. Um, well, we're not face to face and yet we're communicating perfectly well. And some of it is about trust. Is it a trust issue that leaders think, well, I need to physically see the people in the building in order to know that they're here? Um, and I, I think there are ways around some of those barriers that, that people put up. When I asked to go part time, one of the reasons that I was given was that it wouldn't be fair to other members of the senior leadership team if they weren't also offered the opportunity to go part time if I did. And the, the other question that it threw up for me when you were talking through that is, how do other staff respond to that? So somebody who doesn't come in in the morning because they do the, the school run, what do, what's the, the response of other staff in your school? I, I understand um, it's probably part of a culture that's developed in your school. Yeah, I think it's just part of um, working here is that people's own circumstances are respected. Um, and through lockdown, I had different people who weren't able to contribute for lots of different reasons either they were high risk and so they couldn't be on the rotor or they had partners who were ill or children who were ill and um, I just was really open about the fact that everybody's in different circumstances and nobody's got the right to judge um, that if somebody's name wasn't on the rotor that's not a cause for debate and discussion and judgment um, people contribute in different ways and I think the same thing applies to the flexible approach here and I would like to think that staff are very understanding of well that's not somebody's day or they finish early so that's their finish time. Would you say that 
this is one of the main aspects of creating a culture of well-being in your school is is your approach to that that's a really interesting question i think it's again part of a number of things around well-being for for me well-being is about autonomy it's about respect and it's about trust and having um feeling positive about your job is is one step forward in your on your road to well-being and feeling happy about being in work so if you are trusted to do your job and you're trusted to do it well i think people feel happier about being in work um, and that is tied in with the flexible working because um, if somebody is a, a leader and that it's not on their day i am trusting them to make sure that whatever it was they lead on is done in the, the time that they have got um and, and i don't expect them to work if if it was there one day and i have this at the moment a middle leader has one whole day a week where she doesn't work i'm not expecting her to be at home on her laptop answering emails because that's her her day at home um so trust i think is a really key factor with well-being and that is tied up with the flexible working i think i was going to ask you how how do you create the sense of autonomy with your staff as well uh, because I don't, hopefully, <laughs> I love to ask them, um, I don't micromanage and I don't um, judge. Um, we, our approach here is how do I know I'm good? So it starts with self as an individual. So the, the teacher themselves and the leader themselves has to think about how they know they're performing um, in the organization and think about then what validation they may need from a peer or their line manager to validate their assessment of themselves. Very early on, I was asked, um, well, how often will you do book scrutinies? And my response was, isn't that your job to scrutinize your own books and think about the quality of the learning that the students are producing in their lessons? I see that as your job as an English teacher to do that, not not mine. Um, and I got quite a surprised face back that, uh, oh, that's not what normally what head teachers say. Um, and yes, of course, we've got quality assurance processes. Of course we have. But it is, the onus is very much on the individuals to be the best teacher and the best leader that they can be. Uh, we have a coaching culture here. Um, so we use coaching with staff and students to help us get better and to help us be the best that we can be. Before we find out more about how Sue has created a culture of coaching in her school, I just want to share with you a little bit more information about our partner, Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics, from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents, and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first school leader planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat, it's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview and find out exactly how Sue has created a culture of coaching in her school. 
I'm really interested in how you've created a culture of coaching in your school. Obviously, because that's what I do in my business. I help schools to create coaching cultures and communities. And I think that it's something, when it's done well, it really has the potential to improve well-being for staff, create those elements of trust and autonomy and mastery in a school and improve teaching and learning and therefore outcomes for pupils. Can you tell me how you've created a culture of coaching at the John Taylor Free School? We use it everywhere. So um, it, it, we would talk about it as a coaching way of being rather than just, um, right, we're going to do coaching today. Uh, and it, it is interwoven in everything. Um, so as part of our professional learning, we do look at formalised ways of coaching with the different coaching models that are out there. Um, but we, there's also a lot of informal coaching that goes on and those little snippets of conversations develop that through the middle leaders with uh, their professional learning, looking at coaching and mentoring and when you need to coach and when you need to mentor and the difference between the two, what that looks like in practice. Um, and then there are also times when we do that with um, the staff. So at the moment, we're looking at behaviour management and how we um how we get consistency with our approach to behaviour management. So people have been paired up together and they are going to shadow each other around a, a conversation with either with a student or it might be at break time, it might be at lunchtime, it might be in a lesson. And then that coaching dialogue afterwards will help that member of staff to unpick that discussion. And then there's shared learning because the person watching gets to learn and the person who was being watched gets to learn. And it's about that two-way process and how how do you think coaching supports the well-being culture in your school because it supports again the notion of trust and respect and honesty um the the kind of the mistakes are okay and that they happen and the important thing is that we unpick them and we move forward if a mistake is made then we sort it out together rather than oh you made that mistake collectively you fix it and you put it right um, so I would hope that we don't have a blame culture here and that if something does go wrong, it's part of the learning process for either the student or the member of staff or the leader. Um, and I think that that openness really supports well-being as well, because people don't live in fear of getting something wrong and that it's perfectly OK to say, I've messed this up. How do I fix it? And then people will swoop and help them sort it out. Yeah. And what do you do if you if you have specific members of staff who you identify to be struggling? I think head teachers feel sometimes like there needs to be a, a specific process that's followed. And, and Yeah, and I've seen that in other schools, that coaching is used as a tool to address underperformance. I don't see it like that at all. I do think everybody deserves um, access to quality coaching and, and quality coaching dialogue it's not for me about underperformance it's about maximizing your own performance yeah um, so if we had a colleague who um, was struggling in whatever way we would support them with that um, more likely through mentoring than coaching but yeah. we do use coaching as well so you've got a two-tiered system um, I know I wouldn't say it's a two-tiered system I would say it's a personalized approach right so it depends on the circumstances and what's right for that person as to how we might access support um, 
that everybody here I would hope feels very well supported with whichever stage they're at in their their journey we don't have a list of people who are underperforming and are on a coaching program that that doesn't work here one of the things that, that struck me as you were as you were speaking before um and you were talking about systems for for monitoring our quality assurance processes and i think lots of head teachers are concerned that when ofsted come in if they don't have reams and reams of evidence for ofsted through data um, collection systems or processes that they've used in quality assurance they worry that they'll be criticized for that what well, we do have that we do have that but it does start it starts very small scale so it starts with the member of staff and then it goes into their team um, and then we look at the bigger picture so individual members of staff are responsible for their own professional learning and their own development and their own performance in the classroom um, but then as a team, they are collectively responsible for that subject and the delivery of that subject. So as a team, they have to self-evaluate and they have to look at best practice and share best practice and identify areas for development. And they do those subject self-evaluations regularly so that they can identify then on the ground what needs to happen next rather than leaving it until the end of the academic year and going, oh, well, we'll put that right for the following cohort the teams are putting it right for now's cohort, if that makes sense. Um, and if they've noticed that there's an issue in their subject with something and they want to make it better, they're tackling it now, not leaving it till next academic year. So the teams are very proactive with addressing any um, issues or areas for development. And then we look at that across the school. So we would then look and see um, where we need to uh, focus on on a whole school level. So um, ask me about it later on in the academic year. We are expecting a full Section 5 inspection at some point, right. whether, whenever Ofsted restarts. Um, but I would hope that our subject teams do have a really good handle and then that feeds up through the, to the, like, the senior leader line manager for that team who would then be part of that validation process. How do you find time in what is a, a tight timetable and schedule over a year how do you find the time to give to departments to do that work so we have two hours of professional learning every week um, and that is about learning so it is all cpg it's uh, at the moment it's remote but last year uh, was together and that's either in um, learning communities or it's in subject areas um could our leadership development program runs through that as well so we've invested if you like two hours every week in um professional learning because that is absolutely key um, and then as part of that they would be thinking about areas for their own subject and their own practice it sounds like the methods that you use to help create mastery and autonomy are working for your staff how do you go about in terms of well-being how do you go about supporting the emotional well-being of your staff um again i think that is related to the open culture and the trusting culture and the positive relationships that we have if people feel um that they're not going to be hung out to dry for anything or that not, they don't feel trusted or they feel micromanaged that affects your emotions as well and if people feel the opposite and they feel trusted and they feel autonomous and they feel that they are 
in charge of their own um, kind of professionalism, I think that makes for happier people and happier people make for happier teachers and happier teachers lead to happier children. Yeah, I agree with that. Do you do any mental um, mental health first aid? I, have you got a mental health first aider in school? We haven't got a designated mental health first aider, but we have spent a lot of time looking at mental health with the students. We do um, a walk and talk, so a bit like the primary schools going for um, their daily mile. We do walk and talk, um, so which is essentially the tutor groups go for a walk with their tutor. Uh, it's a nice way to start the day, particularly today on a beautiful sunny morning. Um, and it's just a relaxed time where they have a chat and they chat with each other and they chat with the staff and that helps to build relationships. Um, we did a program last academic year where we looked at meditation and breathing um, with our tutor groups. So that's more with the students rather than with the staff. But I think mental health and emotional um, well-being is a very personal thing. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't want to make somebody do something that they didn't want to i'm not a huge fan of well-being programs where everybody has to sign up to yoga or meditation or football or netball or you know because people deal with it in very different ways and i think the important thing is that staff feel supported to look after themselves is is probably the most important thing for me we do have a well-being hub on our sharepoint so we signpost and access um, places of support because often when people are in crisis that's the time when they find it difficult to actually come and say I'm in crisis yeah. so everybody knows where they can get the support the teaching support helpline um, there's various other sources of support on there as well um, that they can access if they were in uh, having a hard time but I think the, the most important thing is the relationships and the fact the relationships here are really strong so people feel able to come and say I need some help yeah that's really important isn't it that there's an open culture where people feel like they're supported and they can be honest and open with each other and I try and role model that as well I do try and um, so I will if somebody asks me about my weekend I don't reply with oh well I was working all weekend I do reply with I had a lovely day on Saturday where I went for a walk or I went for a run and uh, <laughs> just to show that that's an acceptable response because the the response often that is expected in school is, well, I did all my marking on Saturday and then I prepped my lessons on Sunday and I just don't think that's a healthy um, conversation to have. So I'm trying really hard to make it acceptable to say, I had a lovely weekend, thank you very much. So this leads me into my next question and you can probably guess what it is because you've obviously created a culture of well-being where you you look after staff and you obviously very much care about your staff and the number of hours that they're working how do you go about looking after yourself <laughs> so that you are able to look after the staff um hmm. if you'd have asked me eight months ago i might have had a different response now i do try very hard um i'm i'm very good at switching off and saying when i am and i'm not going to work um, I have particular days um, when I, I choose in the evening to work and I choose not to work. Um, I will set work aside at the weekend to spend it with my family. Um, 
because that gives me the emotional energy that I need in order to do my job. So I, I get my recharge from being outside and being in the fresh air and being able to see the sun and the sky. So the more time I get to spend outside, the happier I am and the more able I am to then do my job and support staff in, in school. So um, same with all heads, I could probably be better at turning my emails off my phone and off my laptop um, but I do work really hard to make sure that I do switch off and do what gives me um, happiness uh, so that I can do my job better. One of the things that you've talked about is um, how you found it a struggle when you were a single mum and you were looking after your two young boys. I believe you, they were both of them boy and five at one. Oh, is it? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've got two boys. I think that's why I just assumed you've, you've got two boys. So they were both under five. Can you tell me a little bit about how that's influenced your philosophy and your approach to being a head teacher and supporting staff? Yeah, because I, I um, it, it was hard, you know, having shared care with, um, my ex-husband at the time and trying to juggle nursery and school and school runs and all the things that you're doing whilst trying to be a senior leader was really hard and as I think I mentioned at the start I didn't get quite the flexibility that I would have liked at the time um, and that's just made me determined really to make sure that other people do have access to that because I think it it is important for those that want it and some people um do want to reduce hours and have more time at home. Other people just want to be able to do their job and be able to get to nursery at a certain time to do the pickup. Everybody's different and everybody works in different ways. And there isn't a right or a wrong way of doing it. But I do think the more approachable and the more flexible you are, um, the happier your staff will be. It seems like you're saying that empathy is one of the most or a key skill as a head teacher would you agree with that yeah I think so because um, people have different family circumstances don't they and different lives outside of work um, and the the family that doesn't have any children is no less important in consideration than the family that's trying to juggle um, three young children with different drop-offs so there's no judgment in there and I think everybody deserves to have their circumstances respected and understood. Um, it's not all always about childcare. There are lots of different reasons why people want or need a particular uh, request considering. Um, and sometimes it's just for people at a point in their life where life is perhaps hard and they need, they need a break or they need a bit of space. And I think if, People always say, oh, I don't let my work, I don't let my home life affect my work. I think that's really unrealistic yeah. because we're human and life will affect your work in school at some point or another. And that's not to say that um, you're not still trying to do the best job that you can be. But if we support each other and we understand each other when life gets hard, then somebody will do that back for you. I, I, I love that. I think that's just... A great approach to what you do. I was deputy head and chose not to be a, a head teacher. I wondered what your opinion is because if there'd been more opportunity to do a co-headship, I potentially would have gone into headship. And I just wonder what your opinion on co-headships is. 
I think it's great. Um, yeah, I think it's a great idea. I've got some colleagues in the trust who are co-heads. We've got a couple of schools in the trust who have uh, co-heads. And I think it brings a real richness to a school when you've got two leaders um there'd obviously be ways um and things that would need to be thought about and who does what and um the division of, of different activities but i think the notion that you couldn't have a school run by two people isn't um why not why couldn't you you get double the amount of ideas and double the amount of talent if you've got two people on the job that's what i think maybe uh, at some point in the future it might be a possibility for me who knows <laughs> so <laughs> Um, I ask every head teacher that I interview if there was just one tip or piece of advice you could give to another head teacher who's trying to improve the well-being culture in their school. What advice or tip would you give to them? I should probably um, tell people before the show that I'm going to ask this. <laughs> question, it would give a bit more thinking time. I think kindness. Uh, which sounds very trite and very cliched but i think if you come from a place of kindness then um you can't really go far wrong i think when people kind of start off thinking right i need to address well-being what can i do um it isn't necessarily about um, a box of biscuits in in the kitchen because if people aren't kind and respectful then that biscuits those biscuits are going to make no difference whatsoever um thinking about people as people and not just as teachers and leaders i i think is absolutely crucial to encouraging a, a climate of positivity and well-being i'm hoping from lots of the things that i've seen on twitter and social media that kindness is the way that we're heading because i think you've you've hit the nail on the head there it's it's about being kind and and understanding people at the end of the day isn't it yeah, I I really do think so, because if people are, like I said earlier, if they're happy, they're going to do a better job. And why would you not want that? Why would you not want happy people who do a great job? Because when people are happy, the children are happy. Exactly. So that's what you're working towards. And when people do have difficult days, you, you've just got to try and support them and see it as a, a, a temporary measure of support while somebody's struggling because if you can give that to them then they'll bounce back even stronger brilliant thank you sue so much for your time today i think other head teachers listening to this are going to find it really useful and i'm hoping that it will encourage them to realize that part-time and flexible working is possible and being more creative with timetabling is something that they can look into and something that they can do more of. So thanks so much for your time. I really it is possible it. and it is worth it. And there are practical systems and structures that are um, available to schools to make it easier. Um, so if anybody does want to talk about any of those, I'm more than happy to discuss it. We haven't really gone into the, the systems and structures that enable flexible working to happen, but I'm quite happy to talk about those um, if anybody is interested and, and wondering how to, to, to go about it or where to start. That would be great. So how can people find you if they want to get in touch? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at plant And I'll put a link to your Twitter in the show notes as well. Thanks again, Sue. It's been it's been a really good interview. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. I want to say thanks to Sue for that interview. I was I've been absolutely inspired by her. Um, when it comes to being 
um, a proponent of part-time and flexible working. She, you know, she clearly puts a significant amount of time and effort into being creative with the timetable. And she's committed to doing that because she realises the benefits that having part-time and flexible working within your school environment brings not only to the staff, but how that then feeds into the quality of education that you provide for the pupils. So I really respect and admire Sue for being a trailblazer in this area. She clearly cares about her staff. That's obvious in, in the way that she speaks about what she does and the way that she leads her school. Um, and she cares about their individual needs and she very much sees the staff as individuals and that's the way that she supports them in terms of their CPD, their teaching and everything that's going on in the school. And I think a tip at the end to be kind and to focus on kindness really sums Sue up. She's a very empathetic person and she clearly cares about the staff who she leads. And that is evident in the fact that they have at the John Taylor Free School and no problem recruiting staff. In actual fact, Sue said to me after the interview that oftentimes she could have appointed two or three of the candidates to the role that she was appointing for. And that's because people want to work in schools where they believe that they're cared about. And that is what Sue creates at the John Taylor Free School. So thank you so much to Sue. I hope that she's inspired you in some way to focus on staff development and to perhaps think about offering the potential of part-time and flexible working to support your staff. You've been listening to the We Lead Well podcast. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. The We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance.